Hello and welcome to another episode of Hoppy Night in Canada. My name's John. And I'm Dave. Let's get started. Uh, we've got a pretty interesting episode for you today. Uh, we're going to be talking about the future of the IPA. So we've done, I think one of the first episodes we ever did, maybe the second one, was, uh, was about IPAs as a style. Uh, we talked about a little bit of the history of the style, where it was currently. We drank Fat Tug by Driftwood, uh, which is a really great example of a, a West Coast style IPA. But something that we touched on a little bit in the last episode is times are kind of changing for IPAs. There's a lot of experimentation going on. There are a couple of newer, maybe not styles in and of themselves, but sub-styles of IPAs that are, that are really gaining in popularity. We've been noticing a ton of them out here in Vancouver, and it seems like uh, across both Canada and the U.S., they're, they're really growing in popularity. And so we wanted to kind of approach each of these new sub-styles, talk about them a little bit, try some examples and, and see what we think. Yeah. One of the things we talked about in the last episode when we were doing predictions about beer in the next year was milkshake IPAs. Uh, and it's that's one of the styles we're going to go after today. And I think we also touched on um, additive IPAs. Yeah. I think uh, when we were talking about predictions and also what we observed in 2016, we talked about in general additives and experimentation, you know, different spices getting added to beer, things like that. Yep. And, uh, and yeah, IPAs, I think because especially West Coast IPAs are so hoppy, they may not be necessarily the first beer style that comes to mind when you're going to be adding new flavors to something that's already got this sort of very strong, bitter, hop-forward flavor. But a lot of people are doing it with really interesting results. I mean, I think I've talked about it before, but one of my first experiences with something like this was a coffee IPA made uh, by a brewery called Second Chance in San Diego. I wouldn't have expected that coffee and IPA goes well together. Turns out, really good beer. One of the other things that we talked about and that seems to be gaining a lot of popularity in Vancouver is hazy IPAs or often also referred to as East Coast style IPAs. We're going to touch on that a little bit later as well. Yeah. Yeah. But before we get into that, I think as always, we've got to go with a, a recent highlight beer for us. For me, the beer that I've had since we recorded the podcast last that's really stood out, and you can tell it stood out because I've not only have I had it once, but I've probably had it about seven or eight times, <laughs> uh, is a beer called Chew Toy from Yellow Dog in Port Moody. It's a coconut porter. And it's just really, really good. Like it's there's nothing. It's not super coconutty, but there's enough coconut that it's got a like that it's, that it's an interesting flavor, and it's just a really, really strong porter. So yeah, that's that that one's for me. It's Chew Toy Coconut Porter, Yellow Dog out of Port Moody. Nice. My standout beer is actually also from Yellow Dog. It's it's funny, like Yellow Dog makes a lot of really good beer. One that has been a consistent for me is another of their year rounds. It's just their Take a Walk Wit. It's a Belgian wit beer style, really great example of the style. It's, it feels really dialed in. It's just a really nice kind of crisp, refreshing beer. And yeah, it's it, because a lot of times wit beers and Hefeweizens, like we've talked about, sometimes get associated with summer months. It's really nice to have access to a really good wit beer that's available year round. Yeah, that's true. It's I find it interesting when there's some maybe more seasonal style beers that are available year round. Mm -hmm. A wit is one of those, um, even something like if you can get a stout year round, like there, there aren't very many stouts that you can get year round. And yeah. it's, it's nice to have that. Cause like, I don't know, maybe the, it, it, it's Vancouver. Sometimes it rains in July, <laughs> not often, but sometimes it does rain in July. And you're like, you know, it'd be nice to have a, a, a stout or a yeah, some, or sometimes you like want that. that darker beer. Yeah. 
Um, Another of those, sometimes you think of them as seasonal beers, but it's available year-round, is also out of Port Moody. Twin Sales makes a really, really nice Hefeweizen. Um, Again, nothing really uh, out of the ordinary going on. It's just a really, really good example of a German-style Hefeweizen, also available year-round. And and delicious. Very, very delicious. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's obvious that we went to Port Moody recently and <laughs> sampled some beers. Yes. Uh, which you could see on our Instagram because we have one now because we're social media savvy. Yeah. So before we jump into drinking IPAs, let's talk just a little bit about sort of how IPAs got to where they are now and where it's kind of looking like where they're going to. Yeah. So for those new to it, IPA stands for India Pale Ale. India Pale Ales originated when India was a British colony and the British in India wanted beer similar that they were used to at home. And at the time it was, this was before refrigeration. It wasn't really practical to brew beer in India. It was too hot. You couldn't keep the yeast happy. You couldn't keep the water supply wasn't very good. And at the time in England, the traditional beers were sort of bitters and more malt forward, lower hot beers um, sort of pub-style ales, I guess, is mm-hmm. what, you, what you would call them. And for decades, they tried shipping those beers from England to India with very little success because by the time they, they would be shipped in wooden barrels referred to as hogsheads. That I did not know. Trivia, trivia. Yep. And by the time they got to India, they had been through you know so much temperature change and so much time that they would inevitably become sour and flat and just not drinkable. So in the 1700s, a British brewer came up with the idea of basically make it higher alcohol content because alcohol is a preservative, add a whole bunch of hops because at that point they knew that hops were a preservative and they let it sit for months before putting it into the barrels because it fermented out as much of the sugars as it could so that there was very little for any contaminating bacteria to feed on. So the combination of higher hop content, higher alcohol content, and less sugar, which leads to a drier finish on the beer, allowed the beer to remain stable and last in the voyage to India. Another fun fact I learned in researching this today, the India pale ale that was being brewed was all being sent to India. You couldn't get it in England. Huh. What changed was a ship bound for India, crashed and sunk in the Irish Sea. Some of the hogshead barrels of IPA were recovered, sold off for auction, and the people the, the people buying it, I suspect it was a pub that just bought them and put them up and poured, started pouring. And people were like, well, this is great. Where do we get more of this beer? We've never had anything <laughs> like it before. So that was how the original IPAs were made. Now... IPAs as we know them now are, in fact, very different from those original ones. Right. So what we know of IPA now didn't exist until probably the 1970s. Right. My understanding of the history of of the sort of modern rise of the IPA goes in the 70s, a couple of things happen. Um, The Cascade hop variety becomes widely available, and it's it's a variety of hop that's grown in the Pacific Northwest. And one of its defining characteristics is um, a much higher amount of alpha acids and as a result, bitterness than a lot of the British or German varieties of hops that were common in most beer, uh, in most styles of beer that were brewed uh, at the time. 
So Cascade hops start becoming more popular. There's also, as a side note, like Jimmy Carter in the States decriminalized homebrewing, which allowed a lot of people to start experimenting with like local ingredients and just making beer in their basement without fear of, you know, getting arrested for it. People start playing around with, with Cascade variety and then, and then other varieties of hops that are grown in the Pacific Northwest. I want to say that one of the first commercial beers that was brewed with Cascade is Sierra Nevada Pale Ale, which in the scheme of things today is not a terribly hoppy beer based on other beers you can get. It's still classified as a pale ale, not an IPA, but it was much hoppier than other pale ales that were out at the time. Interest starts to drive towards what if we add more and more hops and, uh, and, and play with that, play with the bitterness as a more defining characteristic in the beer. And at that point, there's sort of a resurgence of this idea of, of calling it an India pale ale because it matches the original intent of let's make it a higher strength beer, higher amount of hops, much more bitter, making that the sort of the, the, the backbone of the beer is the hoppiness. Yeah, and it became very much because of the location of where the hops were grown. And like John said, it's their Pacific Northwest hops there. Cascade was the first one. Then there were others. Centennial was developed. Columbus was developed. Amarillo, some of these hops that if you've had a pay, an IPA or a pale ale in the last 15 years, you've definitely tried these hops, mm-hmm. like for sure. They started being developed in Washington's Yakima Valley and in Oregon's Willamette Valley and in, even in parts of British Columbia, these hops were being grown. And so it became very much a West Coast thing. You know, West Coast IPA was this super hoppy IPA. And there's there's been some really great, almost kind of legendary examples of the style. I mean, Green Flash in San Diego yep. makes, I think they just call it the West Coast IPA. Yeah, that's one of the ones they make. Um, Stone, uh, Stone Brewing in San Diego, their IPA, and their Ruination, which is their double IPA. Those were two of these early incredibly high amounts of bitterness beers that they made. Stone, especially in the early days, defined itself by making these sort of big, bold, very hoppy, very bitter beers. That was their stock in trade. Um, And that was how they differentiated themselves at the time because they were one of the few breweries doing it. Now, you know, everyone in San Diego has got an IPA. Everyone on the West Coast has an IPA. Like, as a style, it's, it's maintained this sort of surge in popularity and... At any given time, you walk into a liquor store and there's dozens of IPAs that you can get a hold of. It does that. That Yes, that's absolutely true. Um, it does seem to me that I wouldn't say that IPAs are becoming any less popular, but I think that their market share is shrinking a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I think that this kind of leads into sort of the where we're going, like the, the overarching topic of this episode. But I think as the craft beer scenes in these cities developed, everybody started drinking IPAs because they were, they're brash, they're, they're big, they're flavorful. Um, There's not a lot of subtlety in most IPAs. Yeah. And so they were kind of one of those beers that everyone's like, Oh yeah, love IPA, love IPA, hops, 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 hops. Yeah. They're kind of, I wouldn't say they're not like intro craft beer, but they're kind of, they're sort of that sort of, first level of craft beer. And so I feel like as these sort of craft beer regions developed and as a craft beer market develops, everybody starts off making IPAs. Mm -hmm. And when Vancouver, you know, three or four years ago when Vancouver was still the Vancouver craft beer scene was still pretty nascent. Every brewery that started one of their beers was an IPA. Every brewery had an IPA off the hop. See, now I was actually going to say, 
What I found interesting when I was in Vancouver about three or four years ago, like Parallel 49 opened, 33 acres, and then soon after that, like after I left, you had, you know, Main Street and Brassneck and things like that opening up in that Mount Pleasant area. Um, A lot of them didn't necessarily have an IPA as their lineup, but all of them clearly had been influenced. Like you had a, a hoppy red ale. You had Gypsy Tears from Parallel 49 as their opening lineup, which wasn't, an IPA, but was a very, very hoppy ale. They yeah. also had an IPL, an India Pale Lager. Yeah. Okay. Fair which was again, but 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 I think I think your point still stands. I think the given nature that like IPAs are craft beer was such that clearly the influence of that style started to pervade into other styles of beer, yeah. such that you're making a red ale, it's going to be a hoppy red ale. You're going to make a lager, don't just make a lager, make an India Pale Lager. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Actually, that's a, that's a good point. And yeah, no, you're right. There were a couple of breweries that opened up. Without IPAs. And actually, I think that was kind of smart. It was a bit of a market differentiator. Yeah. Um, but as I, I feel like as these as the craft the craft beer market in Vancouver is maturing a little bit, you're getting people moving away from IPAs. And I know it happened it, personally, it happened for me. I used to be a like I used to love IPAs. Yeah. They were I, I saw an IPA, I'd order that. I used to love like as the hoppier the better. But then at some point, it got to a point where I was like, okay, this is a lot, and I still enjoy I still enjoy a good IPA. I still really enjoy a good IPA. Mm-hmm. But I tend to not enjoy a not-as-good IPA as much as I enjoy a not-as-good maybe some other styles. Yeah, and and like you were saying, I think the combination of the, the persistence of the style, so the longer you're in craft beer, the more styles you get exposed to, which A, means that your tastes are going to change and expand. And at the same time, it's felt like up until recently, IPAs have been sort of one note. There isn't a lot of subtlety and there wasn't a lot of variation in them. You could get different varieties of hops. So like, oh, this one has more of a piney flavor versus this one has more of a citrusy flavor. But it's still defined by high bitterness, very hop forward in its flavor, and that's about it. Yeah. You know? I mean, some some are maltier than others. Some are more balanced than others. Sure. Some people like like them unbalanced. Some people like them more balanced. Like, you know... There, there's some difference, but like, yeah, you're right. It's, it's, they are kind of one note. Yeah. Um, and so as a result, I feel like, you know, I will never, it would be a real hot take to say that, you know, IPAs are over. I don't think that we're at a point where, where the popularity of IPA is waning. I think it's just more that the market share is decreasing. I would wager. I, I think you're right. Like as craft beer continues to become more popular, more breweries than ever, more styles are, are becoming popular. And as a result, it's not, necessarily table stakes anymore to start with an IPA. You don't need an IPA in your lineup to be successful. Yeah. And and to their credit, I feel like getting getting to the beers that we've selected to try as a result of this probably, breweries are finding new ways to interpret IPAs as a style. Yeah. Totally. Um and so a, a big one of that is, you know, the uh, the the rise of and we talked about it a bit last episode, but the rise of the Northeast style or Vermont, Vermont style IPAs, which are going to be, you know, much more aromatic, lower bitterness, very cloudy, super like unfiltered. They sometimes just look like a glass of grapefruit juice. Yeah. Um, it's possible some of them will have a certain amount of wheat in their grain bill. Mm-hmm. You know, there's going to be some sort of weedy flavors in there. Yeah. So yeah, you're you're seeing things like that rise in popularity. Obviously things like milkshake IPAs are, you know, a way to experiment with other ingredients that are well known in other beer styles. So bringing lactose in is not unknown. You use it in milk stouts, um, but bringing it into an IPA is a brand new thing. And so finding ways to say, okay, uh, 
people know and understand IPAs as a style, so let's start playing with it a bit. Yeah, totally, totally. Yeah. Cool. So I guess that should lead us into our first beer. Yeah. The first beer in our Future of IPAs episode uh, we're going to drink is the High Five Hazy IPA from, we've already talked about a couple times this episode, Yellow Dog Brewing in Port Moody. Yep. As mentioned, it's a hazy IPA. You can't really see through it. You got some... It's very opaque. Yeah. And and some bits, I guess, some yeast floating around in it. Yep. Some. So what I really like about this, this is the first time that I've had this beer, and what I really like about it is how, how consistent the aroma is with the taste, which isn't necessarily... Like, sometimes it's really nice to have a beer that the, the aroma and the uh, taste are different but complementary. But I feel like for this, I, I got very much what I expected between smelling it and tasting it. And it has a really good blend of kind of bitterness and floral, a sort of floral aroma going with it. Yep. Um, I think it's a it strikes a really nice balance of bitter and sweet. And then that follows through with the taste of the beer. Yeah. Um, it's got, it's it's bitter, but not overwhelmingly so. And yeah, it has, it has some really nice other notes going on in there a little bit floral a little bit juicy yeah it is really juicy juicy is a good a good way to describe the beer it's not super hoppy it's not super bitter but it is the hop flavored yeah it's got a good the citrusy the citrusy notes of the hops really come through the yeasty flavor kind of follows up the hop the initial hop flavor and just go and carries it all the way through it's it's really tasty yeah this is a really nice a very drinkable beer in yeah. general i think yeah the can says 60 ibu i don't feel like it i don't feel like it tastes that bitter no no I, I i'm surprised that it's that high but like you say i think that there are there are enough other flavors going in that blend with the bitterness i mean coming back to what we were saying i feel like this is a great example of ipas evolving past just being about hops as a flavor as a profile and and trying to do different things trying to blend other flavors and other um other tastes yeah totally so this isn't uh i uh, i think we touched on it last episode as well um the the origin of this style pretty much comes back to a single beer which is called heady topper and it's from a brewery in vermont called the alchemist as far as i understand for a long time it was it wasn't even canned. You could only get it at the brewery. It was a big deal when they started canning it, but it still has incredibly small distribution. I think unless you're in Vermont, you're not going to be able to find it. And I know like I've seen an interview with the brewer where he actually has spoken against the idea of Northeast IPAs or Vermont IPAs like being a style. Just because he says it's like it would be the height of arrogance to suggest that like his beer is so good it deserves a style unto itself. <laughs> but all the same, as far as I understand, people are lobbying to have this um, in the sort of uh, the beer judge certification book of styles. People are pushing to have Northeast IPA be a, be a substyle of IPA in the same way that West Coast or British style IPAs now are their own kind of classification. Yeah, totally. Because it does have enough defining characteristics to be a sort of different beast. It's a different type of beer. Totally, totally. All right, I really enjoy this. I think I would probably rate this a solid eight. Yeah, I think I'm I'm between I'm between eight and eight and a half, but I'll, I'll probably go eight as well. It's it's really nice. Uh, it's not. It's funny. I have had a couple of other Northeast style IPAs, and I've had ones that are much 
cloudier and juicier yeah. than this. But I feel like this is a really good... This, this may not be close to the quintessential examples of this style, but it's a really, really nice beer yeah. on its own, just flat out. Um, yeah. Like, it, I'd easily recommend this beer to Pete to uh, a number of people, even if they weren't the biggest fan of, of IPAs. Yeah, totally. In Vancouver, as John mentioned, um, in Vancouver, like, it is the Northeast style, but in Vancouver, they're pretty much, in general, being referred to as hazy IPAs. Mm-hmm. So this one was the High Five Hazy IPA. I know Powell Street has recently put out a beer called Lazy D apostrophe haze, so lazy days. Yep, um, decent IPA, and there's a few others that are of the the, the hazy IPA style. And so that's the that's the buzzword that you're gonna get for this style of beer is hazy. Yeah. So, okay, so the second beer we're trying for future of the IPA is a milkshake IPA. So this one is called the Fuzz, and it's from Bridge Brewing in North Vancouver, so just around the corner from where I live. Um, so we were doing a little bit of research as to the origin of milkshake IPAs. Cause they're, they're another style that seemed to have come out pretty much from nowhere. Like I, I heard, I heard nothing about them. And I think you, Dave actually introduced me to the idea and suddenly three breweries in the area had released a milkshake IPA. Yep. So they kind of blew up quickly and seemingly out of nowhere. And so we did a bit of research. It looks like, um, the, Potential uh, originator of the style is Tired Hands Brewing Company, which is out of Philadelphia. In March of 2015, they teamed up with a Swedish brewery called uh, Omnipolo to produce a beer called Milkshake IPA. I'm just going to read this part out from the article. Uh, uh, It was brewed with oats and lactose sugar to create an initial heft. Then wheat flour and 50 pounds of pectin-rich green apple puree were added. So pectin uh, causes an intense, almost gel-like thickening within beer. Post-fermentation, the brewers also added strawberries, another high-pectin fruit, followed by vanilla beans and a dry hopping of mosaic and citra hops, two particularly fruity varietals that the brewer joked, I guess, are the staple easy button of hops due to their ease of enjoyment. The resulting beer, with its so-called permapectin haze, was an immediate hit. So it seems like it is one that was developed fairly recently. Again, like the, I mean, the, the, uh, Northeast or hazy IPAs have been around longer, but also have this sort of one originating brewery. And then other breweries are picking up on that style, spreading the good news. And a lot of people are uh, finding that they really like that new style. Yeah. Um, I personally, I have yet to try. This is the, this will be the first milkshake IPA that I've tried. So we'll see how it goes. Here we go. It's interesting. It's, it smells I hope I don't ruin this for other people drinking it. It smells like candy. Yeah. It smells like like cotton candy almost. Or or bubblegum. A little bit of bubblegum. Bubblegum. A little bit of like gummy. Yeah. Gummy worms. Yeah. Um Yeah, it smells like candy. It I, doesn't the beer itself doesn't follow up as sweet as the aroma would make you think. Yeah. But it does have a weird kind of stickiness that it in the mouthfeel after you drink it, there's this after feeling of like stickiness that's in the back of the mouth and like the back of the palate and yeah. the throat. Yeah. It's not bad. It's a little bit weird. Three or four sips in, I'm I'm enjoying it. I don't love it. Yeah, I um I like I'm very curious about this as a style, so I don't think this will be the last one that I try. I don't know if I'd have this beer again. <laughs> um 
and I do like I I like a lot of the beer that Bridge makes. Yep. Um, this, I mean, granted, this it's it's a little bit of an odd style, and so for them, so uh, the this uh, milkshake IPA was uh, is using peach juice, I think. Yep. Um, and also does it it adds oats to the grain bill and is using lactose. So there's there's a lot going on, and I'm not I'm not wholly convinced uh, by this beer. Again, curiosity about the style means that I will almost certainly have another one at some point. But um, eh. I've had a couple of this isn't the first milkshake IPA that I've had. I've had a couple of them, and I would say that there's others that are better. Yeah. This okay. So the smell the smell reminded me of something, and I couldn't figure out what it was. If you've ever had. There's like a biscuit called a jammy dodger. Um, <laughs> is it's it, like is, a, it, is it in England? Is it a British thing? It is a British thing. So it's this. It's like a. It's like a um, two like cookie biscuits with jam in the middle, like strawberry jam. Except it's not anything like jam that you would buy from a store. It's that weird candied jam sort of thing that you'd find in cookies, um, and it smells like one of those. For the record, those cookies are not very good. I would not, if you have the opportunity to eat a jammy Dodger, I'd probably avoid it. But 100%, that's what that smell reminds me of. Jammy Dodger. Mm-hmm. This is, uh, okay. Um, I think if we're being, I don't dislike this beer. Like, this definitely isn't going to be a drain pour or anything like that. Like, I will continue to drink it, but I don't know that I will ever go back no. to this one. No. I would say it's like a, Five and a half for me. I go five, uh, maybe four and a half out of ten. It's not. It's not undrinkable, but it's not something that I would ever reach for again. Yeah, and I would be curious because it's a new style for me. It's always that thing: the first time you ever try a new style. I would say, especially if you have a not great reaction to it, it's it's probably worth at least trying it one more time to see if that was just a one off. If if it's that brewery's interpretation of the style or if it's the style itself that you just don't like. So I'm at that point with, with milkshake IPAs, I'd say. The future takes many forms. Yes. The next topic in our future of IPA series is flavored IPAs. And this one, this isn't anything super new, but both of us think it's going to be a bigger thing going forward. Yeah. You're seeing a lot of IPAs actually... This is kind of a, a, a hybrid middle ground where between sort of Radler and flavored IPAs where I've seen a lot of grapefruit IPAs recently. Yeah, been for a sure. A lot of like grapefruit juice IPAs, grapefruit zest IPAs, grape, like grapefruit citrus flavored IPAs. There's even out in Port Moody, Twin Sales was doing a blood orange IPA and it was delicious. Yeah, it was really nice. Um, and yeah, that's... Uh Adding fruit uh, to part of the brewing process is nothing new. Like other styles have been doing it for a long time. But yeah, I mean, IPAs, especially given there's been this sort of surge of popularity in the last couple of years of these intensely citrusy flavored hops. Yeah. Hop varieties that, that favor a very sort of citrusy character. Yeah. So adding citrus fruit to that beer, that seems like a natural progression. Totally. And, totally. and yeah, it's uh, like you say, it's nothing... It's nothing necessarily new to the brewing process, but it's it's newer in terms of IPAs, I think. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So this beer, the next beer that we have is an IPA from Steamworks Brewing Company. It is the Steamworks Jasmine IPA. And so it's just a standard IPA brewed with Maris Otter, Caramel and Munich Malts, Bramling Cross, 
Citra and Centennial hops, and, but has jasmine flowers added to it. I spec they're added as a dry hop. Mm-hmm. That would be my guess. Um, yeah, it says 60 IP, IBUs, color golden, and upon pouring, the color is quite golden. Let's give it a try. I get no jasmine. I don't pick up a strong jet. Like, I, I have had other beers that include jasmine flowers that have a much stronger flavor coming through. And this may be there in some small amount, but the hops that they're using are also very strongly flavored. Yeah. And so either they are overpowering the jasmine or I like I'm not sure what's causing it, but I'm not picking it up personally. I get I'm getting some floral sort of notes. There's a bit of a floral aftertaste that I think is the jasmine. Jasmine's not necessarily one of my favorite flavors. It kind of seems soapy to me usually. So like I get a little bit of jasmine just in the 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 sort of floral aftertaste, but it's not strong. You're right. Yeah. And actually, yeah, uh, sipping it a little bit more now. I think you're right. If if anything, it's on the it's on the aftertaste. I think if you gave me this and didn't tell me there was jasmine, I personally would not notice it. I think. Yeah. You know, I- interesting. And like I say, uh, jasmine in beer is something that I've seen a few times, varying degrees of success. Sometimes I I feel like as a flavor, it's a really tough one to get right. Because I've had a jasmine beer once that I really didn't like because it just overpowered all the flavors. It was a it was a much milder style. I want to say it was uh, a blonde ale or maybe a wit beer or something like that. But the jasmine came through really strongly, and so it had this very kind of perfumey, florally taste. Yeah, that kind of hit you right up front, and it wasn't for me. Yeah, totally. um, this one, yeah, by contrast, is very much it. It plays second seat i think to to the hop varieties that they're using yeah i do like it though like this is nice this is sort of a say six and a half maybe even seven yeah you know what i'd say seven out of ten yeah for me yeah i'm at i, I think i'm also at a seven I, I think it's a perfectly fine ipa um yeah it just like the as far as if i really wanted that jasmine taste i'm not getting it that much yeah. but as it's a nice ipa so yeah sure uh not i mean I think we've talked about it before. Steamworks recently made uh, a new IPA called Flagship, which I think is actually one of the better IPAs that's being made in Greater Vancouver. Oh, it's so good! It's yeah, so good. It's 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 one of the top few. Um, this so this one, this one's not that good. So even I was gonna say like this this one is perfectly fine as an example, kind of West Coast IPA style, but um, nothing out of the ordinary. I would say. Yeah, no, I yeah. would agree with that. Yeah, cool. Okay, uh, continuing on the theme of flavored IPAs. Our next our next and last beer of the episode is from Ravens Brewing Company in Abbotsford, uh, paired with Old Hand. It is a coffee place. Obviously, I've never had a beer from Ravens, uh, but I have had coffee from Old Hand because uh, we adopted our dog in Abbotsford and I wanted a coffee before we got the dog. Well, there you go. It is Ravens Brewing and Old Hand Coffee Co- Coffee Company Coffee IPA. Yeah, I, uh, I, I've had one coffee IPA before. I've talked about it a few times earlier in this episode. Um, I really liked it, but like I also said, whenever there's a new style, I'm always curious to see if it's, if it's more the brewery or more the style that I'm interested in. So curious to see how this one turns out. The aroma is very similar to the other coffee IPA that I've had. Uh, the taste is a little bit less balanced. It feels like... To me, at least, I got a separation. First, I got the hops, and then I got the coffee taste. 
yeah. um, as a sort of one-two, and it felt less blended. The one that I've had previously uh, had a much more blended feel of the kind of coffee bitterness and the hops bitterness blending really nicely. Um, this, to me, tastes a little bit more uneven. It's still nice. Yeah, this is this is good. I like it. I'm just looking at the bottle right now. Um, it has pair. It has food pairing recommendations. Okay. It says pair with cave aged Gruyere, which or I will drink anything with cave aged Gruyere because sure. like, cave aged Gruyere is the best. Gougere. I don't know what that is. Oh, smoked beef sandwich and beer pretzels. Yep. Okay. That's a kind of a strange variety of. That's uh, quite the range of food. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sure. Yeah. Sure. I assume most beers go with beer pretzels, to be honest, but that's just me. <laughs> that's like the default pairing. That's true. Mm. That's true. I also like that I'm apparently not allowed to eat this with regular Gruyere. It's true. only when it's cave-aged. Only cave-aged Gruyere. Yeah. No, this is good. I like this. I would probably, again, a seven. No, you know what? I'm going to say six and a half on this one. Six and a half. I'd go seven again. I'd put this roughly on on par with the Jasmine IPA. Again, decent IPA. Uh, it it doesn't match up to my expectation, like what I what I hoped I could get as a out of a coffee IPA. Um, but it's still good, still drinkable easily. Yep. yep. Yeah. So, four different beers, four different directions that IPAs are going. And coming back to what we said uh, at the top of the episode, I think it's an interesting time for IPAs. I feel like as a style, they were one of the first ones that, uh, much like you were saying, Dave, that that I got into when I started getting into craft beer. And then I kind of fell off because more styles became available, more breweries opened up, there was more experimentation going on, and IPAs felt a little bit like a known quantity to me. Yep. And things like this, even though not all of these hit the spot for me, I like that breweries are willing to start trying to do different things with the style. Yep. Yeah, I think I, I think it's an interesting time, and it's and it's a good way to to bring new life to a style that, like you say, as craft beer's gotten more popular, I think a lot of people just kind of assume they know what's going on with it. So. Yep. Cool. Yeah. All right. So that just about brings us to the end of this episode. Thanks for listening. As always, give us a rating and review on uh, on iTunes. Yeah, we would really appreciate it. It takes a second of your time. Rate. If you got a little bit more time, write us a review. But rating is literally, you know, one click. As we said last time, five stars is really what we care about. If you want, to, if you don't like us, give us a five star review and tell us how much you don't like us. Just write us an email, dear idiots. But <laughs> it's fine. We're on a couple of places on the internet. The website is hoppynight.ca. Um, there you can find uh, more details about the beers that we drank. We're on Twitter at Hoppy Night CA. We are also on Instagram at Hoppy Night CA. The Instagram is getting quite a bit of play. Thank you for everyone who's followed. Thank you for everyone who's been liking our posts. Yeah, we're going to try our best. Take some more arty photos of beers. Put some good filters on it. That's so right. We're going to keep trying that. Yeah. Um, email Hoppy Night in Canada at gmail.com. We are still interested in hearing from uh, from other parts of the country what the beer scene's like. We're, we're still interested in getting a Canada-wide perspective on the growth of craft beer across yep. the country. So yep. drop us a line through any of those channels. Uh, we're happy to hear from you. And I think that about wraps it up. Yeah, that's right. Again, for Hoppy Night in Canada, I've been Dave. I'm John. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.